Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. One of the greatest lessons dad ever shared with me later in life, I asked him, I said, what's something you wish you would have known when you were my age? And he said, I I wish someone would have told me it's not your responsibility to help everybody. Everybody. Help as many as you can, but it's not your responsibility to help everyone. Why do you think that's the most important thing? Um, Both of us have really, really big hearts. And when we cross paths with someone who needs help, our nervous system fires on all cylinders to just help them. It seems to me in the past few years, you've gone from focusing more on performance to focusing more on relationships. And I think you've kind of centered a lot of your coaching around the fact that it's our relationships in life that increase our performance. It does. So I've got Jarek Robbins in the house. Jarek, how's it going? Good, sir. How are you? Good. Now, Jarek, I remember we did um we did a podcast together like two years ago and I screwed up. I didn't send you the recording of the podcast for your podcast. You came on mine, yep. but I didn't end up going on yours. But this one's for mine, then we're gonna stick around. I'm gonna do another one for yours. This time we're in a studio, so we've no got it. This time. We've got it. It's not I, gonna be lost in Miami. My failures can't happen. I've I've eradicated my possibility of failure. Which is um actually relevant to the podcast because I want you to help me um eradicate other possibilities of failure. But um first I want to mention a couple of things. One is you wrote an excellent book, Live It, uh, Achieving su- achieving Success Through Finding Purpose. Yep. And I want to ask you a little about that, actually, if you don't mind. Please. So I don't really believe in purpose. Like, I would say in the past 20 years, I've had 17 completely different careers, mm-hmm. not just jobs. Like, sometimes people say, oh, I've had five jobs in five years. I've had different careers, ranging from entertainment to business to writing to consult I like completely have nothing to do with each other to investing mm-hmm. um and I don't know if I really have any kind of like life purpose uh that sort of sets me on fire and like this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life and this is the impact I'm going to have on the world I might have many different types of impact so what is the relationship between success and purpose and what what if there's no such thing as purpose sure um, like 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 other animals don't have a purpose. Why should humans have a purpose? Yeah, what's wild? A lot of them do. Like, and it's really weird if you look at the ecosystem. 
every cell in our body has some type of purpose. Like it does something. Like the skin's there to keep us, you know, insulated and, and, and they're the um to ha- allow us to feel to have sensory neurons and all this stuff. All right, the, fair enough. The you know I get your, it. your liver's there to cleanse and organize and clean. Your heart's there to move the blood. Your lymph system's there to cleanse the blood. Like it's really weird. It's all there. Um but but animals, like you don't see a dolphin sitting around being like, I wonder what my purpose in life is. <laughs> so we're we're kind of the first animal that that does sit around and ponder that or even well, comes up not, with a not thought. Not only do we ponder it, there is an anxiety about it. Mm-hmm. So how many times do you and I both get emails from people uh, that say, "Oh, I'm I'm 23 years old and I haven't yet found my purpose in life. Well, I feel like a failure. Like, like that's so ridiculous to me. A, because they're 23 and I can't even remember the age of 23. And B, the fact that they have like anxiety over it at that point. Like, you know, people even as young as 13 start to have anxiety over it. And I'll give you I'll give you an interesting thought. I've had an upswing recently of young men from India. Who are facing this situation? And when you say upswing, meaning like coaching clients, like you're just to set yeah. it straight, you have a life coaching business. Yep. You deal with corporate, everybody ranging from corporations to individuals. Yep. Of course, uh, and we'll, we'll we'll talk about this very briefly later on. The elephant in the room, Tony Robbins, is your yeah. is your dad. So he, of course, was in is in the life coaching business. Yeah. You've learned a lot from him. So okay, you've had many young men come to you. And, and so what's really interesting is they've been reaching out recently. They've all followed the same exact path that I've seen, the same correlation of what they've done. They've gone out, um, they, they've decided to go a different path than what the culture says is a success route. And so, Like what? So traditionally, if you're in India, you hear a lot of people be like, be a doctor. Uh, a lot of Indian doctors, like there's a success route there. Like you, you work hard, you get great grades, you graduate, you become a doctor or a surgeon or a pediatrician or something in the field, and that allows you to have a great success in life. Now, what's interesting is these young kids say, listen, I'm still going to make a lot of money because that's valued here. And what's interesting, and for me to go after this money, I'm going to pick a different route, and I'm only 22 years old. Now, what's wild is if you understand how the culture works, it works different than a lot of the American cultures that we're used to. So what's interesting, um, I learned this just through, I was working at stacking lumber up in Canada for three months, and I worked with a bunch of guys from- Just for the hell of it? Like you needed money, so you were going to stack lumber in Canada? I actually didn't get paid. Um, That's unfair to say. I got paid in room, board- (laughs) And, when did you do this? Uh, when I was in college. Okay. It was my dad's idea. He said, listen, I'm trying to look at you and figure out where's the weak spots. You know, where are you not strong as, as an individual right now? And how do we strengthen those? And he said, one thing that I didn't really have at that time um, was the understanding of what real, real, real hard work was like. And when we say hard work, like hard work, like your body aches and throbs after the end of the day. And he was like, I want to give you, it's up to you. You don't have to do it. But he said, if you really want to do this, I'll help set it up. Uh, your step-grandfather used to own some lumber yards up in Canada. Um, and we'll put you in a manual labor position where you're just moving wood all day. And you're you're picking up boards and moving it around. So that's interesting. So he said he wanted to focus on building up one of your weaknesses instead of focusing on a strength. Uh-huh. Like, um, like, what would you say? Well, let, let, let me ask you a question. I'm sorry to interrupt. I Go tend to be it. an interrupter. Yeah. Like, what's... A weakness that I mean, we've known each other a few years. Sure. Maybe you don't have an idea of, of any weaknesses I have. Yeah. What's a weakness I have that you think I should, you know, try to work my way through? Um. Well, I'll, I'll tell you how we find those, and, and this is where the whole tying it all together comes in, which is the whole living with purpose aspect. If you think about this, my thought of living with purpose is when you're living in alignment with what you value, what you think is important. So I know recently. You sold everything because the stuff wasn't that important. Right. And you have, you know, your 15 things. And, and now it's like, hey, 
I'm going to live life according to what's important to me. Now, what's interesting is when you ask most people, and if you're listening, this is, you know, do this yourself and, and we'll do it right here. If I were to ask you, like, what's most important to you in life? I would say my relationships with other humans, yeah. like, let's say, uh, a partner, you know, a life partner, yeah. and my relationships with my children. Yeah. And then just being an honest person who acts with integrity and then creativity. Yep. That's it. And then, so what's interesting, great human being, honest with your partner and connected, integrity, and with your children. Those are your are your top four that you would say. Right, and look, I guess along with that, you have to make, be responsible and make money to support these things, but that's not on my on my list of sure. top four things. That's not the highest. Right. And so Because I value experiences over goods. Yep. So it's interesting. Uh, I do as well. I think that's why we're friends to an extent. Like we both sure. are in that space. What's interesting, I was teaching an event on a cruise and I invited my cousin and her recent husband. They'd just gotten married. And he went through AA. He went through all this stuff. So he had you know, some problems of reshaping himself and figuring out who he was. And so in that program though, they trained him on a specific set of values. God, family, um, I forget what the third one is, but they, they have like a certain values that they set you up with. And that's called success in that space. And what's interesting is, so I asked people on the very first day of the sh- cruise we were on, I said, listen, what's most important to you in life? Just write it down and we'll revisit it in a few days as we travel through the world, volunteer, see different things, go on adventures. We'll revisit it and see what's going on. So I'm write it down. Now, if you're listening right now and, and you want to write down the top, let's say three to five things that are most important to you in life, just whatever comes to mind. And for him, when I asked it, he said, God, family, and I think health, he might have said. I said, interesting. A few days later, we said, okay, now what we want you to do is pull out your calendar. Your calendar, how you actually used the last seven days of your life. And I want you to highlight which things were in accordance with those values. And what's wild is with him, when he pulled out his calendar, his whole giant day-to-day life was work, 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 work. But maybe that suggests work was his most important value as opposed to um, he wasn't aligning with his values. Exactly. And that's that's the miss. Mm-hmm. And so success with purpose, the purpose part is, are you really living true to what you value most? But I might not know, like I just told you a list of values. Maybe I don't really know. Maybe that's just what my brain thinks are my yeah. values. So, so if you're 23 years old and you don't know what you value... Mm-hmm. Just look around in life. What things do you get excited about? What things are you interested in? What things pull your attention? What things do you feel like, oh, I should be doing that, but I'm not, I don't know. What things just pull at you? And I remember there was a lady who wrote, I'm trying to remember who it was. She wrote for Oprah.com on vision boarding. And it was a really interesting article because she said, instead of just taking out the traditional stack of cash, jet airplane, Ferrari, like big house, instead of all the normal stuff that people like splatter all over these boards, she goes, instead comb through life and just stay very, very calm and look around. And as you observe, notice which things make your heart pick up a beat or two when you see it or hear it or look at it or feel it. Notice which things cause your physiological body to change in the moment, meaning you physically get excited just thinking about it. You, you hold your breath and think, I wonder if that's even possible. Like those things. She said, look for those. And that could be, I don't know. Uh, building a school for somewhere that could be learning a new language that could be anything that's just simple for you Um, making a difference for people Mm. right now something that's caught my attention because of this upswing in young men who are reaching out saying I don't know what 
I value. I don't know what my purpose is. And specifically, they're saying, listen, I thought I knew what would make me successful. So I'm going after it. And I went after it and I gave it my best shot. And within six months, I failed miserably. And now I'm back home with my parents and my mom and dad are telling me, you're an idiot. Why'd you do that? You're so dumb. Why didn't you do what we told you to do? And they're like, I'm stuck in this negative. I believe that this optimistic, amazing way of life is possible because I've seen your dad do it. I've seen other people do it. I've seen all this stuff. I've seen you do it. I really believe I can get there, but I, I, I don't know how to get out of this negativity. I don't know how to get out of this box that they're, they're sticking me in and saying, you have to do it this way. There is no other way. Help. And what's interesting is you hear that. And I, my thought is, and this is what I do in coaching. On, on the very first day, I, I relate it to like a sports or Olympic coach. If you showed up to Olympic camp and said you want to run the 400-meter dash, I'd say, okay, let's go out to the track. Let me get a stopwatch. You're going to run as fast as you possibly can, and I'm going to time you. And we're going to see how well you actually do. And if you're gold medal numbers, let's put you in Olympics. Let's go win the thing. If you're running it and taking... 40 seconds to do a 40-meter dash? I would be more like a minute and a half. <laughs> We're a little slow. We're going to need some new habits. And, and, and that's just simple. We're going to need different eating habits. We're going to need different training habits. We're going to need different daily routines, like really simple things done consistently that lead to that result. And is everyone humanly possible for that f- to get there? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, not everyone's going to win against Usain Bolt. Like, he's got some genetics on his side. <laughs> At the same time, there's lots of people who can get that fast. And, and so we can get you as close as humanly possible by training you in daily routine. So with these young guys, I go to them and I just say, okay, I know you failed and I know you feel stuck. Write down everything you're doing in your day-to-day life. And what's wild is when you comb through their actual mm-hmm. tangible schedule, which is a great app for it, it's called A-Tracker Pro, and it allows you to literally track. You just switch activities and tell it what you're doing and it tracks your whole day-to-day life minute by minute and gives you feedback in a little pie chart of how much time you're spending in each category. A Tracker Pro? Yeah, really useful. It's like four bucks or something. Mm. Super cool. I use it with all my clients just to track what they're actually doing with their life because they tell you one thing and then when you look at what they actually did, it's not always the same. (laughs) So they tell you, like, I just work all the time. I'm the best. I show up. I maximize all my moments. I do all this stuff. And you look and you're like, really? Why are you spending 35 minutes on the toilet every morning? (laughs) <laughs> to read <laughs> yeah you're like okay think we could cut it down and use that time maybe in the sauna with a health benefit <laughs> that's a good point it, it just like you can adjust things we found out on one client and as silly as it sounds he has six different companies he was trying to maximize his, the use of his time and we were like okay he's like literally I have zero time left I'm trying to stack double things on different time frames how do I get this back we went through the week here's what we found Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday it took him approximately 15 minutes to get home, the drive home, his drive time. Thursday, it took him like 32 minutes to get home. And then on Friday, it took him 15 minutes. I said, okay, this is going to sound ridiculous, but why the heck does it take you double the time on Thursday to get home? And he says, oh, because I leave at a different time. I said, why? He's like, because I want to get home to be able to do X, Y, and Z with my kids, so I leave you know, at a different time and, and just more traffic and stuff like that. I was like, this is going to sound overly simplistic, but what if we rearrange your work schedule so you leave home and do one of the meetings by Skype from home and you get home in 15 minutes, now you have an extra 15 minutes of your life back. And for this person, 15 minutes mattered. Right. Like it really mattered. That was the difference between being with his children or like they're to bed and he doesn't get to see them. So, so it's like it's like anything with habits, like measuring is control, is is 
you know, how you get things done. Exactly. You have to measure to succeed. Exactly. So with you, if you were to say, hey, coach me on how I can perform better, I would need to know what the last seven days of your life look like. When did you wake up? What did you do? Where did you go? What, what, how did you invest the moments and hours? And then on top of that, where were your thoughts? Mm. If we could track what were the things you thought about most often, and that's hard because that's based on what you tell me, and I, mm. I, I don't have a sensor yet that can tell me what you were actually thinking about. It's a little subjective there. Um, but, but in that space, if I would ask you, what were you thinking about? Going back to my cousin and her, and her new husband on the ship, he came over and said, listen, I spend the majority of my time working. And I said, but wait a minute, how old are you? And he says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 32 years old. I said, that's normal for this stage of life. Right. That's not abnormal to spend the majority of your week working every day. And I said, but here's the challenge. What are you thinking about 90% of the time when you're at home? What are you thinking about even when you're with your kid playing baseball? What are you thinking about even when you're at dinner? And he says, honestly, I wake up and the first thing through my head is, am I going to close that deal today for our business? It's always coming through my mind. Even at dinner, I'm thinking about the paperwork. I'm thinking about that our client gets service right, that the, that the truck deliver on time. He's like, my mind's constantly turning. I'm not able to let go of what's going on. So how can he, how can he let go a little bit, bit without sacrificing on the work front? Great question. So with that, here's what's interesting. I went and worked with the pararescue jumpers from the Air Force. These guys are surgeons who also are strong enough and badass enough to fight with like Navy SEALs and Army Rangers. So they get thrown in when someone someone gets hurt or goes down. They fight their way in, rescue you, drag you out while possibly doing surgery on you in motion. Oh my gosh. Fight their way out to save your life. Like the most amazing guys I've ever hung out with. And they threw me through two days of their training. So they, they said, we want you to understand what we go through so that you can help us perform better. I think they were messing with me because they threw me in the pool and drown-proofed me and showed me all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, I think y'all are playing with me because for me to tell you guys how to perform better, pff, I mean, you're like, that's like me going to Olympic gold medalist and being like, well, you can run faster if you tweak this one thing. Like there's little things we could do for each person, but minor stuff, like cherry on top stuff. It's nothing that's going to be a game changer for these guys. But what I did notice where they could perform better, none of them were able to let go of the day when they went home. Mm. I said, ooh, big, big, big red flag. Because we had dinner with a bunch of their families, and I, I just poked around, you know, what's life like? And some of them were also in the Air Force, some of them were not. And I just asked and listened and listened to the themes of conversation and how they acted and reacted. What I noticed was the consistent theme was they were always on mission. They were always at work, basically. And I said, oh. What's your ritual to turn it off at the end of the day and walk away without having all those thoughts processing constantly in your head? And these guys are you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old sometimes. Um, and, and they're doing great service for our country. They're doing amazing things. They're saving people's lives in the middle of crazy battle situations. Insane. And, and it, for most people, it's hard to turn off work and you're like a stock trader or something. <laughs> you know, it's hard to turn off work and you're doing construction, but much less, you just saw someone blow up and stuff getting shot at all day, like a little hard to turn off. And what's wild is we had to set up routines for them to say at the end of your day, when you're going to transition from whatever you call work back to home, whatever you call home, that could be with your significant other, with well, your kids. Was their home life suffering because they couldn't get off of work? It was. It was. And it was clear to see that when you started listening to how they tended to their spouses and what they talked about and how their spouses reacted, like you could see little volcanic buildups in their relationships. And they were trying their best 
And 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 these are hardworking people, really hardworking people. And, and they're deployed, you know, so many months out of the year, and then they come back, and they're active right now. So it's unfair to judge them in any way. But my heart was just saying, how can I help them be better? And I can help them be better by helping them have deeper relationships with their family at this moment. Um, you know, I couldn't teach that guy how to shoot a grenade launcher better. And I sure as shit couldn't outswim the guys who are swimming. Like, they're amazing at what they do. And they have some of the best coaches on earth internally there. Really, really amazing human beings. Well, how do they bring you in? Like, why did they bring you in? Uh, why do they think to call you to bring you in? A friend of mine is in, in, he's really high up in the Air Force. He is in charge of all their commissaries. Uh, they're like the grocery stores. Mm-hmm. He's in charge of all of them. And he watches my stuff avidly mm-hmm. and listens everything we do. And every now and then he'll call me and say, listen, I've got a specific group of guys. Here's what they are. Here's what they're doing. Here's what this is. That message you shared with us last week, I really think it would help them. Would you be willing to come over and share that with them? Mm-hmm. I say, sure, no problem. I mean, they're serving our country. They're working their tails off and they're risking their lives every day. I'm more than willing to show up and, and share whatever I, you think is useful that I have. I'd be happy to give it to them. And so we do it all the time whenever we have a chance to. And whenever they think it's necessary, they'll reach out to us and we'll be, you know, always willing to share and always willing to help as much as we can. And so we got invited over to to share with them. And he said, listen, I really think you could help these guys perform better. And he was talking about, you know, helping them set up morning routines, how to get them prepped for the day. And they already had great routines. So we gave them a little bit more that could help enhance it. Um, But but then the, the evening routine was the one I saw that was completely missing. And they had no way to shut off and go back home. And, and so I started working with them and saying, listen, at the end of the day, if you're, if you're not deployed, and even if you are, but, but there you have to be turned on 24-7. You don't, really don't get a chance to turn off because something could happen at 2.30 in the morning. They wake you up and you got to go and you got to deliver. Um, but, but when you're here on, on, on states and you get to go home at night, what's your routine that when it shuts off, you can literally disassociate, disconnect, allow it out of your nervous system. And for some people, that's going to work out. And that helps clear their mind. That helps them get it out of their body and just refocus. And I said, you know, uh, for other people, it's taking a walk and just breathing and thinking about, you know, what was great about the day? What did I learn? What could I do better? Great, I'll do it tomorrow and letting it go. Um, For other people, it's breathing for 20 minutes and, you know, meditating and stuff like that. So it's different for different people. We got to figure out what's the routine that allows you to disconnect. Mm. First, disconnect. Then, what's the routine necessary for you to reconnect to your loved ones. Meaning, if you're going to, right now, if you're thinking about your loved ones or your, your kids, right now in this moment, you're probably not like gushing over them and your heart's going, oh my God, they're so amazing. I can't wait to see them. It's going to be incredible. But if No, the, usually they suck and I'm annoyed at them. <laughs> but but if it, today I'll be happy to see but them. But watch this. You're about to see them in a few hours, I think. Yes. And so watch this. Let's say that we spent the next two minutes just asking you, what is the most precious and beautiful memory and moment you have with one of your kids? I mean, there's a lot probably. But if you chose one, just one right now to connect with and to think about. I think it's the fact that now that they're turning into, for me, the fact that now that they're turning into adults, I can relate to them not only as a parent, but as a friend. So that moment when I realized for both of them that I could do that. Yeah. And then if you took another and you stacked another moment, mm-hmm. so it's that moment you can connect with them and then say, go back way in the distance. Remember one of their earliest moments with them that just lit your heart up and made, you know, as a dad, made you prouder than anything you could ever imagine. Maybe the first moment they walked, the moment they talked, uh, just something special that happened. And then you catch that one and then do it again. 
And if you repeat this process for like three minutes and you just keep grabbing moment after moment after moment after moment after moment and you do this for three to five minutes straight, maybe throw some music on that really makes you feel connected to them, like your favorite song you like to sing or listen to together. And then you stack it and maybe see a picture of them. If you combine the visual auditory and the feeling of it and reconnect with all those memories, by the time they get there, are you more or less likely to pick up the phone if it's some business call at that moment? Yeah, I guess that's a, that's a good point. You're less likely because you're disconnected from business. Your head's right. not thinking about all the deals. Your head's not, you're not turning of like, I got to get this done. I got to finish that. I got to finish this. You're literally connected to them. And you're like, I can't wait to see them. Well, and this reminds me of what you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. which is, you know, so let's say I have what I perceive to be a life value. It may or may not be, but I perceive it to be. It could be a weakness if there's a gap between my reality and my perception. Exactly. Now, this is what your dad was doing with you when he had you stacking lumber yep. in Canada. Yeah. Like you might have had a value, or he might have had a value that okay, Jarek needs to um, know what hard work is. Yeah. Well, uh, here's the thing: if you would ask me if I was a hard worker back then, I'd be like, of course I am. <laughs> Right, but he saw this gap. Yes. And so he wanted to, to make sure you failed it. Yeah. And so so what happened? You were I interrupted in the middle of that story yeah. bringing it back. No, I went and learned how to stack lumber. And and we had, well, I'll tell you, the, it's a funny story. I tell it in the book um, and I share it because I think there's important points for people. And so I, I decided to do it. I said, I'm in. And I showed up. And so I flew up to Canada, got there at my step-grandpa's house. And they put a room together for me. So I got to stay there and stuff. And they took very great care of me. They're wonderful, wonderful people. And so I remember on day one, I went downstairs. And on my mom's side of the family, they're a little bit of showmen. So they like to dress up and act silly and stuff. So I brought a bunch of gear I thought I would need to like, I'm outside, long hours. Canada could get cold, could be rainy, could be sunny, never know. Uh, so I, I came upstairs and I had like a big yellow rain slicker jacket, a camelback with a water thing. I had worn cowboy boots because I thought I needed leather, hard-toed boots in case the wood falls, uh, jeans, big gloves. And then on my way up, I even grabbed you know my step-grandpa's cowboy hat out of the garage and threw it on my head just in case because I need to keep the sun out of my face. Do you have a photo of that? Can you, oh, we're going to post that with this podcast. I wish I did. <laughs> but I walked into the room and my step-grandma almost fell out of her chair laughing because she could clearly see a i had no clue what i was about to do because it wasn't that technically hard and b they were just laughing because of how silly i looked i was like okay i'm ready guys and they just looked at me and kind of shook their head and she literally burst out laughing she has the most beautiful laugh in the world she almost fell out of her chair and i remember thinking like whoops i thought i I didn't know what i was doing so as i turned around walked downstairs they're like okay pal you won't need all that trust me it's a little extra too much stuff to take with you like all you need is jeans a t-shirt and some tennis shoes and you'll be fine maybe maybe some boots but I'm sure you'll be fine in gloves. And, and so went back downstairs. On my way back downstairs, I overheard my uncle, my dad, and my step-grandpa taking bets on how many days they thought I was going to last. Because huh. this is hard work. Like, I had to be at the freeway by 6 a.m., which the freeway was a 22-minute drive away from the house, which means I have to leave at, uh, you know, I don't know, 5, 5.20-something in the morning to get there, which means I like to wake up and work out. So that means I have to get up at like 4 or 4.30 in the morning to get my workout in prior to doing this. And then eat breakfast, get ready. And, and so when I overheard them saying how many days it was going to last, it set off this chip on my shoulder, like I'm going to prove to them what I'm capable of. Now, what's wild, if you look at a lot of young people, that's a lot of times why they try to go after something. Someone will say, I don't think that's possible. I don't think you can do it. And either A, they believe it and go, yeah, I guess so, and don't try, or B, they get pissed and they go for it. And they have something to prove, something to prove to themselves, something to prove to the world around them, something to prove to their friends, something to prove to society, someone. 
and and they have this like aggression and excitement and passion to go do something and prove that they can make it. And mostly it's about themselves and to themselves. Like they're going to prove to themselves they can make this success happen. So inevitably what happened, I showed up, I started doing it. Within the third day, like it hurt. I mean, I've, I've done football and wrestling and all kinds of sports, but I've never been so sore in my whole life. Like I couldn't think without having pain in my body. <laughs> and I just kept pushing, kept pushing. I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning, working out, getting ready, eating breakfast, driving to the side of the freeway, jumping in a van with a bunch of worker guys, driving all the way an hour to Lumberyard, working all day. Having was it a- boring? It was hard. Like, boring. Eventually, we'll get there. It was interesting. But but in the beginning, it, it was all determination and just like, I'm going to show them. So I'm working extra hard, pushing everybody, moving stuff faster than everybody. And after a few days, like, I can't lift my arm in the morning. It hurts so bad. But I kept pushing myself. And after about a week, my step-grandpa noticed me getting up and working out every morning in the gym, lifting weights and running for an hour. And he's like, pal, you might want to cool it on the gym thing in the morning. You're going to burn yourself out. And I said, okay, I got it. And I'm, I, had, I was going to prove to them how strong I was. I could work out before, I could do this lumber stuff all day, and I could work out afterwards. So I was working out an hour in the morning with weight, half hour weights, half hour running, stacking lumber all day, half hour running at night, going to bed and doing it again, six days a week. <laughs> so it was crazy. And so about halfway through, I'll fast forward, halfway through, beginning I was all fired up to prove to everyone what I could do. Halfway through, I started getting all these thoughts. What the hell did I sign up for? This is the stupidest thing I've ever decided to do. I'm smarter than this. I almost have my bachelor's in psychology. Like I almost have a college degree. Why am I working a hard labor job in the summer? This is stupid. I'm not even getting paid for this. What's wrong with me? You know, and and why why am I the one stuck out here? There's some foreman guy who gets to tell people to do. Why am I not doing that? And all these thoughts. And then I sat back and it took a while. I didn't get this immediately. But upon reflecting back, I eventually hit a point where I stepped back. And I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, who the hell are you? to think you deserve more than anything. And if you're young and listening to this, I don't know if you've hit this point yet in your career, but a lot of young guys specifically will get into a job, an, an entry-level job, will work, 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 and eventually these thoughts of entitlement will kind of sneak into our head. And you know, it's funny, I call that uh, the disease. Yeah. So if an employee has the disease, yeah. you know, where they think like, oh, they should be making, uh, you know, sometimes they deserve double the money, but often... It's it's you know random. Yep. Um, it's you can never get rid of the disease. I yeah. don't know how to solve it in an employee or a friend or whatever. But I know for myself, I try. I you never you're never entitled to anything. No. I believe. And I'm 48 years old. I'm not entitled to anything unless I earn you know it. earn it. Yeah. yeah. But but that was the lesson waiting here. And and that's what I write about. And and so the concept became, I remember day after day after day thinking I'm better than this. I'm smarter than this. I should be getting paid money. I should be having a real, you know, uh, summer job and I should make real cash on the side. Uh, what the hell am I wasting my time for? I'm wasting my education. Like all these thoughts. And I remember at one point just hearing this mess in my head. And I remember I walked in the bathroom. I looked myself in the mirror and I said, who the hell do you think you are? Like, let's just start fresh because you're right. It's a disease. And I thought, if I were to continue to do this thought process, where would it lead me in life? And I just tried to future pace it and look out into the future and say, if I were to keep doing this again and again and again, where the hell is this going to lead me to in life? And I couldn't figure out anything that it would be worth. And, and I went back to an original thought I learned a long time ago, which is everyone in life is either an example of what to do or a warning of what not to do. 
And I said, if I'm going to get stuck in this entitlement attitude, thinking I deserve more, I'm better than this, I'm smarter than this, they don't respect me enough, all this other crap, I said, I'm going to land up being a big-ass warning of what not to do in life. And those are needed. That's interesting. So everything in life is either a warning of what to do or what not to do. Based on the goals you have. Right. So your goals, you can walk outside, we can look at every person, a homeless person, a billionaire, a guy in a Rolls Royce, a guy, you know, running a pedicab, and we could say, based on your goals, so go back to a value, tight with family, being a good, honest, true person, artistic and creative. Based on your values, is this person being an example of someone that'll help move you closer to those or a warning of someone that's going to move you away from so those? So that's interesting. So that's, you're saying that's an indicator of who I should be around? Not who around, but how, what you can learn from them. Mm. And then there's a deeper point, which is every single person, because a lot of people say, hang out with this group of people because if you want to be like them, hang out with them and you'll learn what they do. But here's the thing. We have this hallucination that if we can find a person who's an example because of who they are or where they've been or what they've created or how much they make or something they have that we think they have it. So if I can be around them, maybe I'll get it too. The problem is we forget that everyone then is an example and a warning. Every person. I guarantee you, you know, we hung out long enough. You'd be able to look into my life and say, hey, you're a great example in certain areas. And you're a big-ass warning in other areas. <laughs> and that's okay. It's just learning what to do and what not to do based on your goals, your values, and what you're after. And so I see a lot of people look up to people like dad or other people, and they say, hey, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk is someone a lot of people look up to right now. And everyone goes, wow, Gary's such a great example of, of success and achievement and hustle and hard work and all this other stuff, which is a beautiful example. And I've met Gary a handful of times. He's amazing, hard-ass working guy. And if you dig close enough, I'm guessing if you had family as your number one value and spending time with family, lots of significant time each day high on the list, he wouldn't be the best example in the world for that. Mm. And so I'd have to go, ooh, he's a beautiful example of hard work and hustle at the office. Not that great of an example. Probably a little bit of a warning at staying home every night and having dinner with your family. So we'd have to go, okay, learn the hustle from him. Now let's comb through and look for somewhere else that really, really does make the family work and figure out how to learn that skill from them. It's almost like you need your kind of like virtual board of directors. Like here's who I'm going to appoint yep. to be my hustle yeah. member. Here's who I'm going to appoint to be my more relaxed, calm yep. person. And, you know, try to figure out what I can learn from each yeah. one of them. Because here's what's interesting. They each have different habits. They have different rituals. They have different belief systems. They have different things they go through every day. They have different ways of approaching the day, different ways of turning on and off. So, it, you know, I look for kind of extremes and then figure out how do you blend them? Like, how do I be Gary all day when I'm at work? Go, 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 go. Make it happen. Build, build, build. Crazy, crazy, crazy. But how do I be my friend Ananda Giri, who's from One World Academy and a monk from India, when I go home? It's like, wow, what ritual would I need between work and home to go from hustle, 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 hustle to Zen monk? And what He's do you not do? Zen monk, but, but monk. <laughs> and, and so that's the practice. That becomes that, rit- that transition ritual. What do you have to do? And everyone's different. But for me, things that really help, yoga. For some reason, if I can go in a room, specifically if it's hot yoga with some great music, and I can just pour out some sweat and do nothing for like a good solid 55 minutes – Oh man, it gets me out of my head, lets me let go of all the crap that's going on in the day, lets me relax, reground, reconnect. And at the end, I try to think about everything I love and appreciate about my wife. So by the time I walk out of that class, I'm ready to connect with her and be with her and be present and be loving and caring. 
It's so interesting. I mean, I'm going to totally steal this concept from you, but like so many people Go talk about like a morning ritual, but what you've really emphasized here is an evening ritual that's yeah. kind of important for success. Yeah. For, for, for holistic success, like not just success in making money, but success in sort of home life and the other things you value, whether it's creativity or honesty or whatever. It's why we threw the whole li- su- achieve success by living with purpose because mm. this whole purpose concept isn't like find your life's purpose and that'll be the answer to everything. The purpose is live aligned with your values and if you value family, don't be the person that's like work all day, work all night, but oh yeah, family's totally important to me. That's why I work so hard. That's what people try to say. Right. And it's like, okay, great. We'll work extremely hard during the work hours and have a way to turn it off. And that's what a lot of them struggle with doing is the letting go aspect at the end of the day of how do I disassociate from work, let it completely go, mind, body, physical, like it's gone, not even thinking about it, reassociate to family that I value so much and get to spend those precious moments with them. Going back to Gary, he is a beautiful example of this because if you listen to him and I've gotten the rare experience of watching him in and out of different spaces, when it's family time, work disappears. The phone is off. The people are gone. It's like he boxed himself in a room like this and nothing else exists except for him and his family. He's not one of those guys that's like, oh, crap, crap, crap. I got to take this call real quick. Sorry, guys. And leaves his kid sitting in the living room because he has to go get a business call. No, he shuts it off. So he is a beautiful example. He just balances different time ranges. Um, But but to that extent saying, wow, I'm going to take this ability to, I call it switching gears. The ability to go from full throttle forward to full throttle the other way and completely shut it off, relax and become present. But it's not shutting it off. That's what people tend to say. Like, I just want to be able to shut it off at night. You're not shutting it off. You're shutting off work. You're turning on family, home life, significant other, health. I don't know. You might be single at home and lonely. I don't know. But (laughs) you're turning on the home life stuff, the community stuff. Therefore, the one thing you got to do is one, completely clear out the day. Two, fill up with the same way that you build into your day. So your visualization, your goals, uh, your future vision, your affirmations, whatever you do to fill yourself up and totally get laser focused on what you're going to do in the day. You got to have a similar ritual, a little bit softer, but similar ritual for the evening of what you want to do with your family. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. 
Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brands Park American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. We've talked a lot in the past few months, and I know it seems to me in the past few years you've gone from focusing more on performance to focusing more on relationships. And you, I think you've kind of um, centered a lot of your coaching around the fact that it's our relationships in life that increase our performance. It does. And, uh, and, and I've, I've heard that a lot from you in the, in the past few months in particular. But I want to I wanna, um, address what we even talked about this before the podcast briefly, and I know you don't like specifically talking about your dad, but I do want to ask you, like, how do you avoid the comparisons when you're, um, you know, pitching a coaching client and, uh, you know, do they compare you to your dad? Do they want you to be like your dad? Do they say, hey, we want your dad and not you? Like, how do you deal sure. with kind of this overwhelming presence of your dad being in the same industry and being huge in that industry in, yeah. in your life? Well, he's huge in life anyways. And by the way, specifically, you didn't want to talk about this before the podcast, but we, we agreed that yeah. let's just mention it you know, sure. briefly. 
Um, well, we reach different people and we're totally at different stages of life and we have different expertise and experience. And, and so I was talking about this just a few days ago with a friend of mine because he charges a million dollars a year plus a percentage of the upside of a company for coaching. Who, who does? Your friend or? Dad. Okay. And, and, and so th- there's a stark contrast to start there. <laughs> right. I, uh, you know, we charge roughly $500 a session. He charges a million dollars a year. <laughs> so right there, you just split the audience. Um, because no matter who comes to me and they're like, I really want you to be just like your dad. I'm like, well, I don't charge a million dollars a year and we deliver a different style of service. And does that mean his is a thousand times different than mine? Not necessarily, but who he is, what he's done, where he's gone, what he's experienced, how he's experienced it, what he's discovered and how he's able to deliver it is different. And it's always going to be that way. His life is different than mine and it'll never be the same as much as I'd want or try to make it that way. It would never be the same. He grew up differently than me, had a different experience growing up, working, earning, everything. So we just have radically different experiences to provide for people. Coaching, to some extent, though, is what something. And you've learned a lot about coaching from him. I mean, you worked oh, in his organization. Of course. Obviously. I worked there for seven years. Yeah. Um, did six and a half years in coaching for them, got trained by them, went through all the stuff there. And so I, I learned his methods that he teaches. So the coaching aspect, the cool part is that's duplicatable. The life experience aspect I have to go out and get my own life experience and therefore I have my own viewpoints, perspectives, insights, strategies, and and that's what I can share. But in the coaching aspect, the tools, which is awesome, coaching itself isn't necessarily mentoring, which is let me show you how I've done it so you can have, you know, the leg up or it's not, it's not really consulting either, which is, Hey, you know, let's figure out all the numbers and gadgets and digits and and let's fine tune your systems to get you to perform better. Like there's some of that in there, but not a whole lot. It's really not therapy. We're not trying to fix the past or anything. Coaching, you know, I always refer to it like the Olympics, like, Hey, you say you want to win a gold medal. I say, great, whatever your gold medal is, whether that's a certain number you want to reach in business, how you want to perform at home, how you want to perform daily in your mind and body and emotions, how you want to perform in your stock trading or whatever you want to do. So we take the person and say, okay, that's your goal. Uh, day one, we need to figure out where the heck you are you. How do you compare in that space? So we sit you down figure out what your numbers are compared to the numbers you want. Then we got to figure out what's your current plan of action and what's the actual results it yields. Based on those results, what do we have to change about this to get it to stack in the right direction? So the coaching aspect, that doesn't really change who you go to. Um, now, my ability to connect with you and get through to you drastically changes coach to coach to coach. So the other factor when someone's like, oh, I like someone like your dad, I'll tell them, I'm probably not the best guy for you. I'm a lot more calm and relaxed than he is. And I'm a lot- Is that true? Yeah, a lot more. Like when you're in the room with him, is he like all, jumping all over the room? <laughs> uh, he's got a lot, a lot, a lot of energy. Like I, I gave him a gift the other day, this little thing called Spire. And it's from Stanford. And it's it basically on the box, it says, breathe your way to calm. And he looked at the box. And the first thing he said, he said, first off, thank you so much. This is interesting. I'm excited to use it. And I told him all about it. I said, it basically, it tracks your breath. And it, and it tells you if you're tense, calm, or focused throughout the day. And it's Spire, S-P-I-R-E? Yeah. And it's, is it like an app I can get? or Yeah, it's an app and a little like clip that goes on your belt. It's like 100 okay. bucks. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get them to get me a professional dashboard. So mm-hmm. I'm talking to the guy who created it and saying, hey, I would love a dashboard as a coach where I could see my clients' breathing patterns all day long. Mm-hmm. And ideally, as a manager of a team in a company, if you knew you had 50 sales guys, and obviously, I know HR is going to have a freaking headache over this stuff of if it's okay and all this other jazz. But let's say it was possible. You had 50 sales guys, and you knew that by 11.30 a.m., 30 of your guys were tense for the last 20 minutes. Now, tense means 
You've activated your fight or flight. You're no longer using the executive part of your brain to make logical and sound decisions. Therefore, you're just reacting emotionally to whatever people are saying on the phones. That is, you're not your best place to sell from. Mm. The best place to sell from is a focused state. And they've tracked the amount of breaths you take and the style of breaths you take if you're focused, calm, or tense. So if you could see a dashboard where you see 30 of your guys are tense right now, wouldn't it be smart to go out and say, hey, 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 you know, team break, team break. Um, here's what we're going to do. Everyone stand up, do like 10 breaths with me. Let's throw on some good music. Let's get you guys completely calmed down, focus, focus on your goal, get excited, relax. And you watch their breathing change. You watch them all go back down to focus or calm, say, okay, get back on the phones and go for it. Okay, so- that's what this does for me personally. So I gave it to dad to go back to the story. And here's what's funny. He picked up the box and the box says, breathe your way to calm. And the first thing out of his mouth was, I wouldn't pick this up in a million fucking years. <laughs> Because <laughs> he has no re- he has no care in the world to try to be calm or relaxed. His whole thing is passion, intensity. Like that's what changes lives. That's what makes shit happen. So his is about more energy, more focus, more passion. And my thought is, I learned the greatest gifts and strengths from family and dad specifically about passion and intensity. He has more than I do, but I have a bunch when I talk about stuff I'm you know excited about. Uh, But then on the other side, I say, you know, where's the thing I could learn that they don't have as much of that I can, you know, basically have a small advantage if I learn that too. So looking at that, I said, you know, one thing I I was tense a lot. You know, I'm only 32. And if you look at the side of my head, I got all kinds of gray hairs because when I was a kid, I was always comparing myself to dad and stressing out over the fact that I wasn't as far as long as he was when I was his age. So by the time he was 27, he went from making 38 grand a year to a million dollars a year in personal income and bought a castle on top of a hill in Del Mar. So I'm turning 27 going, shit, 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 (laughs) because I was nowhere close to that. And so that didn't help back then. I finally had to let that go and say, listen, I'm my own man. I have my own life. I need to do life on my terms and, and, and go experience what I can make happen and do it on my own. And that was one of the greatest gifts dad ever gave me as he came to me and said, listen, I think as a dad, one of the greatest gifts I could give you if you're going to choose to stay in this field and any other field too, but especially this field, because we're in the same space. Um, he said, the best thing I could ever help do this, and this was years ago, he said, is to ask you, really, really, truly to completely disconnect from the brand, from the community, from the office, from anybody. And he's like, if you want to do it, I'm all for it. If you want to help people, help people. If you want to coach, coach, but do it in your own space. So go find places where they don't know who we are. They don't know what you've done. They don't know what I've done. They don't know anything. Find them and enroll them and share what you know with them and that way they get to know you as you and they get to know what you've shared with them as original and 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 you can always give credit where credit's due but they get this in they get this new experience instead of having reference points in their mind of oh you're Tony's kid you must know what he knows or something like that and so what's wild is that was really hard in the beginning because all the people I connected with my whole life everyone I'd worked with everyone I've done it was all kind of in his world and so in the beginning I'd put up an ad and get a bunch of people who were like, Oh, we just got done at your dad's UPW seminar. I'd like to work with you. And I'm like, great, go work with his coaches. He has wonderful coaches. They're awesome people. Call this number. They'll take great care of you. And, and that's kind of hard in the beginning of business too, because you yeah. really need the business when it's just starting. And so I had to, you know, stick with integrity there and say, listen, I told dad I wouldn't do it. So when clients would come to me directly from his stuff, I would literally reroute them and send them right back over to the main office line and have the office take care of them. And that was hard, really hard. And I went out and found a partner and and a friend of mine told me this. He said, you know, when you want to have a great partnership, there's three things you need to find in connection. Brand, like brand awareness, 
Uh, productization, do they have a solid, really credible, amazing product? And then uh, marketing or reach, how big is their reach? And if you look at those three things, he said one thing that's really interesting, usually you figure out where your strength is and wherever your strength is, you want to make sure that's their weakness and wherever their weakness is, you want to make sure it's your strength and vice versa. So I had a great product called performance coaching. I could take someone that was struggling to stay accountable, struggling to stay on track, struggle, you know, performing at an average level, and I can get them to extraordinary performance and total consistency. That's what I was good at at, a, at this stage of life. I found a lady who at the time, and this was 2010 maybe, 2009, um, was teaching small business owners in Los Angeles only how to get their business set up online that didn't have a web presence at all. So we're talking like a flower shop in Beverly Hills. Which to me, I was like, we're going to work with a flower shop in Beverly Hills? Can they afford coaching? She's like, yeah, they do $2.7 million in flower sales every year. Hmm. I was like, I'm in the wrong freaking business. How the hell do they sell $2 million worth of flowers? Like, who are their clients? And they don't even have a website? How do they do that? And it turns out, like, all the housewives of Beverly Hills buy, like, $60,000 arrangements for their freaking parties. Hmm. So that's who sells it to them. And I said, okay, well, we can help grow their business by getting a website and just Having a web presence, as simple as that sounds. Nowadays, people go, duh. But back then, it was like, oh, that'd be a good improvement. So I partnered with her. She had a reach of, I think her email list was only like 10,000 local small businesses in, in LA, which is big. It's all very, very specific. Only small businesses in LA who did not have a website. She found 10,000 of them in Los Angeles County. So she had that email list. She had a good, you know, a good product, which is teaching them the basics of putting their business online. I had a good product called really holding them accountable to follow through because most people go to these events, learn all this great stuff, go home and do nothing with it. So I'm like, hey, I can get them to actually do something so their money gets a return. And then she had a reach. She had a connection to them and brand awareness. They knew who she was and they trusted her because of her past years of doing business there. So we partnered up and I went from getting maybe a client to sign up once a month to two or three clients once a month, which I was really excited about at the time. With that partnership, all of a sudden we did an event 65 people showed up to the event. We ta- we showed, here's the steps we're going to take you through. Here's how it'll affect your business. Here's where, you know, the presence of online in Los Angeles County. Here's how many new clients you reach. Here's the different stuff. Did the proposal. We had I had 22 coaching clients sign up in one day. Hmm. Now, as a coach who was working one-on-one with individuals to go from like two or three a month to 22 in a day, game changer. We repeated the event six months later, and then we got even more. And all of a sudden, within that first eight months, because of those events and that partnership, it took my business from a small little business of coaching, just trying to build up to 52 one-on-one coaching clients a month. And I had zero life, zero time, completely overwhelmed as a coach. And, and that was not what I dreamed for either. But, but you know, 24 years old, making over $100,000 in revenue in your first eight months, it ain't a half bad start. <laughs> so how did you get back, though, to living the life you wanted to live? How I had- did you coach yourself? Yeah, I had to refine the business. So I had to sit down and learn about business um, and, and realize that I can't help the world myself. I think one of the greatest lessons dad ever shared with me later in life, I asked him, I said, what's something you wish you would have known when you were my age? And he said, I, I wish someone would have told me it's not your responsibility to help everybody. Hmm. Everybody. Help as many as you can, but it's not your responsibility to help everyone. And I was like, interesting. What an why, interesting- is that, why do you think that's the most important thing? Um, both of us have really, really big hearts. And when we cross paths with someone who needs help, our nervous system fires on all cylinders to just as help them. To get like anxious if you can't help them. Not anxious. It just, I feel compelled to help them like, like drawn. Mm. Um, and, and 
like all every now and then while cross paths with a client, I can think of someone specific who they got turned down by every therapist. They got turned down by every coach. They got fired from every counselor. Like every person they've ever tried to work with has fired them and told them, do not contact me ever again. And they reach out to me and they're like, I don't have enough money for your coaching. I'm really struggling, but I hope you can help me. Do you think you could help? And by all signals, there must be a reason why every single person in a helping profession does not want to help this person. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, let's work together. And I'll be like, tell me what's going on. And then all of a sudden, I'll find out why they're not working with other people. Because on day one, they'll forward me like 200 emails. And they're like, please read all of these and be ready for a call tomorrow. I'm like, oh, I knew it. <laughs> there was a reason. <laughs> and, 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 and so you find out it's like, wow, they have interesting tendencies, interesting habits. So, I, you know, my heart compels me to like, even though it's not fun, and even though it's not what I'm really, not my ideal client, certainly not how I run my business, every now and then I'll feel compelled to be like, okay, if no one's going to help this person, I'm going to help them. Mm. What's going on? And I'll have to learn their tendencies. And what's neat though, I'm also pretty good at within a couple of weeks of dealing with anybody, weeding through all the crap that doesn't need to be there and figuring out what's real and figuring out how to get down to the actual challenge that needs to be handled and helping them get through it and then getting them on their way. I mean, to an extent, I, I was talking with a lady here who, who does biofeedback for a bunch of like pro athletes and all these people. I said, do you think this could help someone who's stuck, um, you know, not able to control themselves? And she was teaching me about- Control in what way? So she was, she was, we were saying this before the show, but she was saying, um, if you think of your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system or your fight or flight and rest and digest, and she goes, you know, in your, your fight or flight, it basically elevates like zero to 10 scale. But for some people it goes zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and 10. And some people at, most people at 10 can go, oh shit, you know, I'm being crazy, calm down and calm themselves down. For people who lose control, it goes to 10. And then all of a sudden it goes from 10 to a hundred. And they're literally what they call out of control. They can't control their thoughts. They can't control their actions. They're just a, a, like a reactionary stimulus in life at that moment, meaning whatever happens around them, they physically, mentally, and emotionally re react and respond to. And, and it's all reaction just to try to keep themselves kind of safe and, and in control. And she goes, for those people, it's really fascinating because she does biofeedback. So she measures your body temperature, your heart rate, your breathing, and, and, and shows you how your body's actually reacting. She says, what we found was some of these people cannot actually control it. Once it goes, it goes, and they just lose control. And what people try to do is calm them down. The problem with calming them down or drugging them, you know, you go to a psychiatrist and they say, take this pill because the pill will block your receptor and won't allow your brain to even go that high. So it'll block you at a seven and like shut you down. And then you have these really like really calm people now on antidepressants. Like that doesn't help either. And I said, well, what do you do? She goes, well, we train, instead of trying to retrain the fight or flight and make it less aggressive or less, you know, over the top, she said, we train the other side and make it really strong. So we make the rest and digest the parasympathetic nervous system really strong. That way it becomes a breaking mechanism that when they start to elevate and it's like zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, and it's going 80, 90, they can take a few breaths and they're so strong at this other side, it literally pulls the other side right back down mm -hmm. to calm. So we're retraining the other muscle versus trying to back down the strong muscle that's there right now. And, and so she goes, I said, how do you train it? And she goes, well, she specifically has a 10-week breathing program it's not just breathing. 10 weeks, they plug into the machine and you just follow the breathing dot. And one week they train focused breathing. One week they train calm breathing. One week they train all these different types of breathing. And the goal is you get so good at it that by the end, 
you can take two breaths and make yourself focused, calm, freaked out, ups, like anywhere. You can just move your emotions like that. And not just thinking or feeling like you're moving your emotions, but you can cause your heart rate to speed up and slow down at will. You can cause your body temperature to heat up or cool down at will. So do you learn about stuff like that and meet with people like that because you want to incorporate that into your coaching? Of course. With That's great. Of course. Because I want to be able to go to my client who can't control I feel like himself. I want to sign up for that now. Yeah, me too. I'm literally talking to her. She only does it here in New York, so I'm trying to figure out if she can do a like Skype mm-hmm. sessions with me. She said I'd have to buy the equipment and do all the mm-hmm. stuff, but I'm trying to set it up so I can go through it because I want to know how to do it myself. I'm always trying to get better. And ideally, I'd love to take this. I ran into another guy. Uh, we were hanging out with Kamal um, just a few weeks ago. Yeah. His godsons and godchildren's parents we ran into them outside of uh, the restaurant here and he was saying, I was telling him what we were up to and all the stuff I was learning about. And he was telling me, he said, oh, we're doing some of this heart math stuff or the, the bio uh, feedback stuff with board exec teams in companies over in San Francisco right now. Meaning we take the executive team and before we start the meeting, we have them all plug in and we can see their heart rate and their breathing and everything. And we get them to all breathe in sync and get their heart rates in sync. And he says, our hypothesis is if we can get them biologically in sync before they have important meetings, they'll connect better, they'll listen more, they'll, f- they'll be more connected as a team, and therefore they'll get through challenges a lot better than if they're just all over the place in different places. And he said, it's working. We're, we're still going through the study. We don't have the research done yet, but we're doing it. And we're trying to figure out if we can get people in sync. My thought was like, wow, going back to couples, what a neat ritual to have with your significant other. You come home and the first thing you do, and it's kind of odd and sounds a little hippie-ish, but it's cool. You come home, you plug in, and you say, let's just breathe together for the first five minutes when we're first home and get our hearts into the same rhythm and our chemistry, bio- like biology, let's get our biology in the same rhythm but right when we get home so that we're kind of on the same rhythm at that point for the rest of the night. Well, it's interesting because I just spoke with uh, Robert Cialdini who wrote the book Influence, Influence. and he talks about how um, synchronicity is an important part of uh, being able to be influenced by one another. So, for instance, dancing, you, you become, you end up liking the person more after you dance with them. Yeah. So, just because that synchronicity helps with influence and persuasion and yeah. so on. So, it's an interesting technique. Yeah. So, that thought is if you can get in a company boardroom, get the whole team connected. Uh, if you have a problem child, spend a few moments connecting with them and getting in the same breath or heart rhythm first and then have those mm. deep conversations, um, your significant other. Like it goes in all kinds of relationships. And, and if you're looking for sales influence and stuff like that, Robert Cialdini would say, if you can cause that same rhythm to happen in a client or someone you're trying to influence, you have more influence on them in that moment. Yeah. I would do it for the connection. He would do it for the influence and other people would do it for other reasons. But there's lots of benefits that come from it. So, so... Jarek Robbins, once again, thanks so much for coming on my podcast. Of course. Uh, uh, the book, Live It, uh, I, I highly recommend. Thank you, Sam. And uh, look, let's let's keep, keep going on each other's podcasts every couple of years. I'm down. So thanks, Jarek. For more from James, check out The James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen. I have a big favor to ask you, and it will only take 30 seconds or less, and it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know, and you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast. 
probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now, and it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for The James Altucher Show, and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less, and if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.